so yeah, Commissioner Outlaw uh, made approval to use um, more frequent non-lethal munitions on the people, um, as well as had gotten the approval for the National Guard from the governor. So uh, with all that going around, I reached out to my job. I was like, hey, I got to cover this. I have to leave work early this coming Monday. Got so it. this was... Uh, the events had for George Floyd had transpired that entire weekend, yep. that Saturday. And then on that Sunday was continuous uh, more rioting, rioting more um, looting that was going on. And you actually see in certain news clips where the police turn and retreat. Like, yep. This is not something that I've been involved in Philly journalism and activism for a long time. And I've never seen the cops turn and run. Right. You know, and during the George Floyd um, episode, I mean... Um, uh, uh, weekend um, of those demonstrations, you've seen that quite a bit where the cops just completely lost control. There. Yeah, and we were actually sitting there watching a cop grab his stuff from the car and just take his stuff and just leave. And just leave. Else, yep. You know, they left all the cars. And I remember the SWAT truck that was there, they were throwing everything they can at that SWAT truck cones yep. and everything. And it was just four people or five people in this bear and they retreated. They were like, forget it. Yep. yep. They had um, no backup. And we've seen in the past where uh, vehicles are damaged and, and destroyed, but not to the point where the cops have literally no control. Like they could come in there with additional vehicles and resources, but it's liable. I mean, it's it's likely that they could have faced uh, further injury, further damage to their vehicles just because of the enormous amount of people. And I think it was also because of the pandemic that a lot of people weren't working. Yep. Um, typically, you see demonstrations busier on the weekends. And it's like, okay, uh, weekend's over. I got to go back to work. So everybody's getting those stimulus checks and coming to the yep. protest. Hey, they're getting paid. <laughs> they, you know, they can come out and have fun. Maybe yeah. they were involved in demonstrations in the past and they, they just wanted to get back out there. And uh, that was their opportunity. Like, hey, let's, let's see some action. As well as a lot of like teenagers and young people um, I think that's what, what the pandemic was good for, was that it shows the power of the people that they can come out if you remove all the distractions of sports and everything else in their daily lives. But um, all that being said, it just made a cocktail for a very volatile weekend. So we got there Sunday and we see a bunch of National Guard there. What was your first instinct when you saw that? Because of the events that happened the day before, yeah. they started protecting the uh, center. So when I go out and cover, um, depending on the nature of the, the theme of the protest, um, I'll go and get security. Uh, so I actually did get security to come with me uh, for that uh, event on June 1st when we first went out there. That, that Monday. Um, was we it a Monday or it was, a Sunday? It was, it was a Monday. Monday okay, so I got my dates wrong. It was Monday. Uh, but that whole weekend, that Saturday, that Sunday was, you know, the city was in an inferno at that point, yep. like, um, you know, in terms of control. Okay. Um, that Monday was like I had to leave work early. I wanted to go, but I was like, all right, it was pretty crazy the last two days, and each day has gotten more and more intense. Let me bring security out uh, with me. And that security uh, person also does, doesn't, doesn't just watch my back. They also provide, like, first aid. Yep. Um, and just in general to make sure that I'm good from any exposure. Now, when he's talking about security, he's not really talking about a guy in a T-shirt. This guy came in with a gas mask, <laughs> a face covering, yep. boots, uh, bulletproof vest. Uh, medical gear. I'm like, man, I thought this was like a soldier of fortune yeah. coming in. <laughs> um, it's just people that I've come across over the years and other demonstrations that um, you you trust. Like, you know, they can watch your back. And these demonstrations are very unpredictable, especially when the National Guard is supposed to be there. Like, there was just a lot of uncertainty over that weekend. Um, but I was quite surprised when I got there um, to City Hall the National Guard had it completely like squared off, basically like the center of uh, of uh, the city hall area or uh, Thomas Paine Pla uh, Plaza. Yep. And um, there were demonstrators on the other side just yelling at them. And, you know, I was recording this and covering it. I think we were there for about 30 minutes to 45 minutes. So it was me, Mike, you and then your uh, your yeah. security guy. And we actually got separated, right? Because you guys we said did. we want to go a different way. And me and Mike stayed back behind. Mm -hmm. So where did you guys go at that time? Um, so we just kept sitting there watching it back and forth. And we're like, 
there's got to be more. Mm-hmm. Like, there's, it feels like something's missing. And, and journalism, a big part of that is intuition. Like, sometimes yep. you just got a feeling to go in this direction or, hey, we need to split up or, hey, we may need more intel. Let's, let's go through and see what other contacts we have to find out where we should go. Now, yeah, before you go any further, like, we actually ended up meeting up. So tell us between that time when, when we separated and then we met back up while we were marching on. Uh, yeah, so I was um, going up and down. I had recorded, like, I thought there was going to be a good exchange between the National Guard and uh, the demonstrators. Like, one was screaming at the National Guardsmen to put their weapons yep. down. One actually did, mm-hmm. and um, that really riled up the crowd. But after that, it kind of diffused, and I was like, where is everything at? Like, there's got to be more people. Yeah, because I, I was like, this is way too peaceful yeah. for what happened last night so i left uh city hall with my security guard we were walking just up and down just trying to figure out like where to go next so i started reaching out um to some other activists that i've known and over the years uh while as a journalist i am impartial i still had those relationships uh from the time that i was an anonymous and things like that so they were like hey we're out here by the african-american museum that's like more of like the touristy area of city hall um, outside of City Hall, so we went over there and linked up. When we got there, there was I, I, I couldn't like describe like the amount of people. Mm-hmm. Um, typically, you won't see that at a police brutality related right. march. Like you would see that at the women's march or something for LGBTQ, something mm-hmm. a little bit more inclusive, a little bit more safe. And there were thousands of people um, rallied there. Yep. And as I got there, um, there were, I believe, bread shirt uh, uh, organizations, which are the far left wing uh, democratic socialist groups. Mm-hmm. Um, some of them, they were, uh, you know, just kind of rallying the groups up and they were giving shout outs to Antifa, which, you know, a lot the entire group put their fist up as like they were taking an oath almost sort of okay, yeah. uh, towards Antifa, you know, and this is the kind of stuff that the news likes to run away with. Yep, is yep. Like, you know, it's just complete anarchy in Philadelphia. When I got there and, and witnessed that, I knew that I was in the right spot. Um, so when you guys were there, me and Mike started marching and that's when they started the march from uh, Center City. Oh, they did. They met up yeah. with the group. So okay. they started marching. And so then somehow we ended up meeting on, I think it was John F. Kennedy Boulevard. Right. When the whole yeah. entire group met together finally. And then they were headed over to the art our art museum area. Yeah. Yep. Yep. Uh, or the 611 highway where the two bridges are and then 611 is underneath. Wow. I didn't know that. Um a lot of times what you'll see in uh, larger demonstrations is there's dividing. Uh, the group is somewhat divided internally. Yeah. So they'll have, oh, no, we should start over here. Oh, no, we should start over there. Um, so that was my suspicion was that this was two unique individual demonstrations going on at yep. the same time. Whereas I was able to connect with that second one where I had projected where most of the uh, action would occur. And we were with the first group. And they came together. And they came together. Okay. At six eleven, so now you have two groups, almost a couple of thousand each. Yep, and yep. they met in the center at six eleven. So let's take it from six eleven. We got to six eleven, and then all of a sudden you see the Bearcats there. Yep, and they were spraying the people, and uh, we were kind of like, "Oh man, let's back up, let's back up." Me and Mike were on top, and so the layout was: you got the six eleven underneath, and you got the two bridges crossing over. Yep, and so then there's a hole, a fence hole where the ramp goes down. And so then we've seen a bunch of people just go down that ramp and go through the fence down there. You yep. were part of that, right? Yep. Uh, so I missed quite a bit of that action. Like I ended up seeing later clips of, you know, people being hit with batons, um, hit with all kinds of uh, flashbangs, tear gas. Mm-hmm. In the back end of that, that bear I think you were talking about is like this black tank-like SWAT vehicle yep. um, that was kind of pushing the crowd upward. And um, if you investigate like the incident at 676 that day, you see 676, like a recurring. I'm sorry, I keep saying 611, 676. Yeah. Um, you keep seeing a recurring uh, theme with that 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 bear, uh, whatever it's called. Yeah, um, that called vehicle um, was leading a lot of the. Um, counter response um during that day so um and they were using pepper spray to spray out of the 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 top or whatever yep yep exactly the hatches would come open yep. and you would see like you you would normally see like a a gun basically that would shoot tear gas 
but they had a hose coming out, and I've never seen that before, where it had like this extended spray wow. on it. Um, so that was something to definitely be to watch out for. And I didn't see it at that point until well after the events transpired on the highway. Yeah. Uh, so on. Um, so give us a, a timeline leading up to the highway. Um, so, uh, the first was meeting at city hall. Um, then we split up because there were two different demonstrations. Um, one group of journalists stayed at city hall. The rest, including myself went to by where the, uh, African American museum is. Yep. Um, and some of the other touristy areas. So, uh, after that, it, it sounds like the two groups did come together. Um, I was just towards the front end of the second group. Um, mm-hmm. so it's very difficult to see what was going on behind thousands of people. Thousands of people. I mean, you. Uh, I still can't believe like the amount of force and energy that that came from that group. Um, from there, like they did a series of uh, of speeches, um, mostly left wing and far left wing groups got to speak, um, as well as like people that were impacted by police violence. Some of the family members here locally um, that had been, um, you know, their their relatives had been victims of police violence. So after all that was done. I'm like, okay, we're just going to march around the city. So we started the march. And I think it's opportunism when people see like, hey, there's something and, you know, there's an opening here. We could go down there and and maybe get more attention. Um, So as we were coming through, um, it was like the entrance to the Ben Franklin uh, Parkway, 676. Right. Um, you see skaters and biker, uh, bicycle individuals, because they're usually the ones that are leading the groups, go right down uh, the ramp to the highway. And so me and Mike are sitting there, and I said, Mike, let's go, let's go. <laughs> then I hesitated. I'm like, yo, there's a massive amount of people trying mm-hmm. to get through that fence line. Yep. I'm like, Mike, it's probably safer if we just stay up top and video from here. And so that's where we were. Yep. Now you, yeah, yeah I believe you guys were over like the... I think there was like an overpass bridge type yep. thing yep. Um, where you could see all the action. And um, right down below down is where below. everybody started piling. Through. So so tell us what happened when everybody yeah. started going through. And there was still action going on near up top yep. uh, where you guys were while we had to, uh, had went down the uh, highway. Right. Um, so when we came up to that opening and you start seeing the bikers and skaters go down, in my head, I was like, all right, this march is going to turn up. Like, there's going to be greater risk. Now you have pedestrian traffic. You're now cutting off a major artery into Philadelphia's business. Right. Um, when you do that, even whether you're thousands or whether you're just a group of five people, you're going to get a lot of attention very quickly. Right. Um, so as we were approaching that opening to go in, um, a SWAT vehicle came up and tried to block um, the entrance to that highway. Okay. And people were just disregarding the officer altogether, trying to sneak through, as well as there was like a fence line um, near where that entranceway was that people were just going over. Now, so, the cars are completely stopped at this point. Not yet. Not yet. Okay. So uh, you had the um, bicyclists, you had the skateboarders all trying to like flag and stop traffic. I was right behind them. So I was like one of the first people onto the highway. Okay. And I was like, shit, like did everybody um, get blocked because they were trying, the officers were trying to keep people from going. Okay. But as I turned back and zoomed in, you see people almost like the movie World War Z with the zombies coming over (laughs) the fence. Yeah, yeah. It was just nonstop people just kind of like going over and falling. And then before you know it, the entire uh, highway was consumed. Uh, with people. So there were some that were literally laying their bodies out in the middle of traffic to prevent, um, to basically provide a safe way for everybody else to get on. Okay. Okay. But they were not causing any damage to the vehicles. No, they were not being aggressive. You know, I didn't see any of that. No. So after like, in my own view, I didn't see any of that. What I did see was graffiti. Um, so you had people trying to climb the walls of the outside of the, I guess you could say underpass, like there right. were these tunnels that we kept going in and out of. Uh, we're trying to climb up and and hoist flags, banners. Um, there was a lot of spray paint on the side of the walls. And I heard that one, uh, well, actually seen in, uh, I think it was in the New York Times article, uh, where the police uh, vehicle was spray painted itself. Okay. So that's what, this is why we're even here right now talking about this is because 
the response that happened that day on 676 was not equivalent to what we had seen in the previous days, or it wasn't matching the the protester intensity. Okay. While they were on the highway, there were thousands of people. They were holding signs. Like, it was soccer moms in, in, in general. Whereas if you look at the previous days, while there were demonstrators and people there for legitimate um, political or personal reasons, uh, there, were a lot of, uh, there were a lot of opportunists. Like, there were a lot of people that were just going in to raise havoc. Mm -hmm. We didn't have that on the highway that day. And I think that's where the, the intensity just got out of control was because Commissioner Outlaw had granted those munitions, um, but basically had a blanket um, um, approval to use them during that weekend, whereas it wasn't warranted. Um, so so we, let, me, let me play devil's advocate a little bit here so we, so we can get both sides here. Do you think the aggression came from because, they, because the cars were burnt the day before? They thought the aggression was going to be 100 times worse. Bingo. So yep. then they were like, screw this. We're going to put everything out there and stop these guys. Absolutely. Um, that definitely played into it the, the two days preceding. And it's just logical to think, hey, Saturday and Sunday was crazy. Like, this isn't going to stop. Like, most people aren't back working because yep. of the pandemic. And um, just judging by the thousands of people that showed up for, for a Monday, yeah. um, that would lead to a lot of anxiety and paranoia on the law enforcement front. Um, however, just like there's opportunists on um, the demonstrator sides, you have them on the officer sides too. Oh, sure. You could see the excitement in their face, you know, mm -hmm. as they were gearing up their uh, rubber bullets, their their tear gas, as well as working concurrently with the National Guard during that time frame. So at this time, the cars are stopped. The SWAT team comes out, and I've seen the officers all coming out of their vehicles, yep. and they were approaching the protesters. So now at this time, me and Mike are on top of the bridge looking down, mm -hmm. and then all of a sudden, all hell breaks loose because they start unleashing tear gas. Yep. And the way the wind was pushing it, yeah, everybody on top got hit with tear gas. So the first time I got hit, hit, and I, I got hit with tear gas in the Marine Corps, but man... When I got hit with that tear gas, Mike started running. <laughs> I started running, and then all of a sudden, when you—if you never got intense. hit with—yeah, yeah. if you never got hit with tear gas, it feels like they're choking you mm -hmm. and you cannot breathe. You feel like you're gonna die, yeah. and you cannot—you're taking that the best. Yep. Mike started running, and I'm yelling, Mike, Mike. He's not looking back. He's just like not breathing. He's going. Mm. Everybody's running. And then a bunch of people had milk. I'm like, yo, give me some milk. Milk. Yeah, Nobody's yeah. giving milk. Nobody's giving water. But it, 30 minutes, we walked off and it was fine. But mm -hmm. we got out of that area. Now, while we were running, you were down there, right? Yeah. And yeah. tell us what happened down there because we have no idea. So you guys seen the initial wave of action where yep. – um, um, because we were down there and when me and the security guard were just, I was just like, what the hell was that? I heard this loud bang, consecutive bangs coming yep. from up top. Um, and, you know, we've been in demonstrations before where there's usage of flashbangs. So we assumed it was just that. It was just a flashbang. Something to just disorient people, scare them and get them away. Um, but we didn't realize like there was uh, usage of tear gas. You couldn't smell it at the bottom of the highway, okay. even though you know there was some action going on at t on the top. The wind took it out. Yeah. Um, so we continue to march um, down. Uh, we go through. Uh, I think it was like two um, underpasses right. or, or overpass, like how, however you would want to describe it. We we're going through essentially tunnels. Um, so we get to the larger stretch, which is like this huge, um, tunnel basically. Right. Um, and you see like anarchists, you see some Antifa like hanging literally from like the rafters of the tunnel, like trying to put up banners, do some spray painting. You see more spray painting going on. Right. And I was completely shocked, uh, because there was no warning. I... Uh, continued to march forward, and then all of a sudden, you see a massive group of people headed the opposite direction. Wow. So the journalist in me was like, hey, let me get closer to what's happening <laughs> yeah, and just figure it out. <laughs> yeah. But at the same time, when you have thousands of people deciding to go the opposite direction, it's a stampede. Yep. So that was the more important thing in my head is like, yo, I'm going to get crushed here if I don't turn around and run. So I, at this point, I don't know what I'm running from, but right. I figured it had something to do with law enforcement at that point. Mm -hmm. 
Um, so I turn and start running. Somebody else bashes into my camera. I sustain some um, really bad damage to it, um, mm -hmm. which is part of the uh, lawsuit um, that is going on with the city. And um, we'll talk that, about that. Uh, yeah. yeah. Uh, so I'm as I'm running, and you can't really run fast because there's so many people in front of you. It's basically like hands on shoulders, like everybody's kind of pushing each other out. Yeah. Uh, my eyes start burning just like immediately and i recognize yeah. the smell so i was in the army as well and we did quite a bit of mbc training which yep. is uh the chemical training and um i recognize the cs gas uh the smell of it the feeling that comes with it the burning of the oh, hair it's the your, worst thing you got yellow puke you yep. got whatever is in your stomach it comes out so i was letting people know like there's gas get out and so an entire wave of people came out from under that over uh, over underpass and we were waiting in a section between one overpass and the other. Like, we we're in open air at this point. Right. Um, somebody had collapsed to the ground and was having a seizure at that wow. moment. Um, yeah. I called my medic over to help that person. Um, I thought he was hit by somebody. Mm -hmm. Like, you don't know like, yeah. when there's uh, chaos like that. What right. was the source? What happened? Pre-existing condition? Any of that stuff. So we were focused on getting that person... Uh, taken care of. And all of a sudden, you see from this open area that we're in, we continue to run again, additionally. And at this point, you see the SWAT uh, officers moving uh, forward. Mm -hmm. um, so we had to run. We left that person there. Not everybody. Like, there were a few that were still treating them. And it's in all likelihood that they were ultimately arrested if they were staying there. Pretty much anyone that stayed there at any point got arrested and then when we were watching as a row of people just yep. were arrested and some of them couldn't even breathe because that smoke still yeah stayed. yeah and that that's just like why like we're even having this discussion today is the response to it was just it was extra we had ran from that open air location and i head back towards another overpass and i'm like all right crap like we got to get out of here like um but I didn't realize that there were SWAT coming up from the reverse side as well. And at this time, you're hearing munitions crack inside of the uh, of the underpass. You could hear it like just echoing next to you. Mm -hmm. um, as I'm crossing the street, I feel this this uh, this thing hit me on my uh, shin area. Did you my, think it was a bullet? Is it my adrenaline was going so crazy at that point? I was like, "Look, it's hot." It was probably like 95, 96 degrees right, it was in hot that day, yep. It was COVID. Like people had masks on, um, dehydration, exposure to chemicals. I was just like trying to move so quickly, but I do remember um, getting hit, and then I remember uh, additional munitions cracking near my head, and I had to warn other people, like, "Yo, they're shooting." Wow. Get like get down, basically. Yep. They're shooting. Um, so um, they were like, somebody behind me was like, "Where are they shooting?" The eyes is just like, it's pretty much everywhere at this point because they right. got them coming from the front and the back, and the two sides of the highway are fenced in. You're literally trapped at that point. Um, so I tried to go up that first initial after I had gotten hit with the rubber bullet, but uh, SWAT was um, was arriving at and utilizing so many munitions at that point, it was very unsafe. And the cloud of tear gas that you, it would, you would have to walk through a mist of it to even get to the fence to try to get yourself over. So I reversed, I went back up towards the other way, um, went up the um, highway embankment up towards where the fence area is. And I, I saw a lot of people having trouble climbing up that hill. Yeah. Um, so when I did go up, there was still a lot. There was a fog of tear gas on that side as well. It just didn't seem as concentrated as much. Right. So I was like, all right, I can, you know, uh, function a little bit more here. But the problem was, was when I got up to the highway embankment, went up to the fence, I looked at it and I was like, there's no way I'm getting over this thing. So depending on where you're standing on that highway embankment, the fence can be higher or lower depending on where you stand at. I was at the highest point. Um, so I'd project it was probably about 12, maybe 15, probably closer to 12 feet. Um, I went up to, I was like, there's no way I'm getting, uh, over this thing. I was like, all right, let me just start helping other people, um, up and over. Cause I have strength. Like I was carrying a lot of weight with my camera, journalism right. bag full of everything that I needed, um, that it would be very difficult for me to get over. So I start helping, help maybe two, three people up over the fence. At this time I start 
regurgitating like mm. just everything is coming up the excitement like because of the gas or is it it's the... mostly the gas like okay. you still see it and breathe it but i was exposed to it previously like in the military so it wasn't like i'm not going into panic mode because i interacted with this stuff before yeah um but at the same time after i helped those people up my safety became number one at this point i was like all right i can't film anymore let me shut this camera. The camera was already damaged. It was all wobbly. The screen was broken um, because of the stampede. I was like, let me put this away. And that's one of my biggest regrets was putting that camera away. Because you could have captured a lot of that. There was so much more footage and action that transpired after the fence um, that it's caught on other cameras and such. But it, it leads to more credibility when you capture it yourself. Um but this was like the first real time that I was covering an assignment or doing some journalism where my own safety was really, really uh, at risk. Right. Um, so I try to go up. I help those two people up. And mind you, like during this whole thing, I'm live streaming. So some of my friends and family are watching. And um, after I start regurgitating, I start feeling like I was going to pass out as well. Mm -hmm. So I was like a double whammy there. Like, hey, I need to do something or I'm going to end up in the hospital or in jail. Yeah. Because that was the other third risk was that the officers were um, coming up in full force and uh, locking people up. So um, I yelled at somebody through the fence. I was like, yo, take my camera, please. I hand my camera over to the individual. Mm -hmm. At this point, I still have about maybe 20, 30 pounds on my back. Where's your security at this point? Security was completely split up. Oh. I forgot to cover that. Um, we had, yeah, after the stampede, we, it's just impossible to find somebody like, right. you know, and a and thousand people there and everybody's scrambling. On top of that, he's a medic. While he was there to cover me, if he sees somebody else that's injured or needs help, he will uh, deviate and, and right. help that individual. Um, so I didn't expect them to be glued to my hip after something like that. Like at this point, it's like, I got to save my own ass. Um, and he was dressed like SWAT. So you couldn't even tell if he was SWAT. Yeah. You don't even know <laughs> what team he's on based on uh, his look. Yeah, so, yeah. Um, so I, I handed the camera to the person and then I propped myself up on the fence. Um, they were like, I was struggling to get up and all of a sudden I felt this large push behind me. Okay. I didn't even ask for help. Like yeah. people just like, hey, let's help. It was like start uh, crabs in a barrel trying to get over. Uh, typically, you see them pulling each other. But this time they were pushing and helped me get it, get up. So I was able to get the fence line enough to my waist, but I couldn't get my leg up over it. So I had to flip forward because I had the equipment on my back as well. Right. So as I flip forward... I'm now head facing down towards the concrete, using my forearms to hold my body up from a from a hard fall. Um, people are screaming, "Don't do it like that! Don't do it!" Like you know. Yeah. Um, so I had to flip. Like it was timing. It was me sick. I was gonna pass out. I flipped. They helped cushion some of the blow, but I did land pretty hard uh -huh. um, after that. At that point. Um, I got up, the person handed me the camera. I said, thank you so much. I walked two, three steps, dropped to the ground. Like it was just pure exhaustion wow, at that yeah, point. Yeah, yeah. Um, and now know, you're on the other side, right? Now I'm on the other side of the fence. Uh, you can hear the screams and cries of people that were behind me uh, because you see like these, this thick layer of tear gas and they have nowhere to go. Um, people that weren't athletic enough to get over the fence or they weren't cooperating, like use work as a team to help each other up and over. Um, but I couldn't really help any of that. And at this point, my live stream, for some reason, was still on, but it was in my pocket. Oh, wow. Um, so they can hear me like throwing up, uh, getting sick. I threw up for at least two hours after that incident. Wow. Um, so outside of that highway... I was sick, couldn't move, disoriented, so I couldn't breathe. Um, I was exhausted from physically going over, plus running. Um, it was hot. It was like 95, 96, so I was probably uh, dehydrated as well. My eyes were burning, uh, couldn't breathe from the gas. But then um, a long-range acoustic device underneath the helicopter swoops in right above me, directly above mm -hmm. me, and just starts ringing this loud alarm. Now that that's actually a uh, a weapon it's that a, makes you sick 
Yeah. Or, yep. Yep. Um, I've heard that before. Like it's it's supposed to disorient you, and it, it, it reacts to everybody differently. Yeah. Some people throw up really mm. bad. So it could have been that as well. Like yeah. and, and and to contribute to it. So that thing is is deafening loud, and I that's where I regret not having my cameras. That I could have had that right directly below view of that helicopter. Mm -hmm. And fortunately, the attorneys were able to find um, footage from other cameras of that chopper uh, going down, because a lot of people didn't report that. It may not affect somebody else as much as it may affect me. Like everybody's uh, hearing is sensitive, you know? Um, So at this point, now I can't hear. Like I just described that I can't breathe, I can't see, I can't hear. So it's just plus exhaustion and, and feeling sick. Um, so a, a group of demonstrators picked me up off the ground. They're like, yo, it's not safe for you here. Um, they dragged me maybe about six feet or so away because there was still outside of that fence. It became a battleground out there. Right. And the bear is still there. And the, that's what I was getting ready to talk about. Yeah. The bear was, um, at this point was still firing tear gas and everything else. You had demonstrators putting cones on the tear gas or picking up the tear gas and throwing it back. Um, at them. So the viewers need to understand you have no place to go at this point because down there you have SWAT yep. tear gas. On top, if you climb up and you're up there where where, where, where you think it's a safe zone, you got the bear putting yep. tear gas. Absolutely. So everywhere is tear gas and there's gas no everywhere. place to run. And it felt like, because I was already um, losing like consciousness and feeling sick, that if I get hit with one more tear gas, and I've said this in my head, like, that's it. Like, I'm out like i don't know what that means but i'm not going to be able to move forward right uh here so uh the t- the the group that was helping me um move now picked me back up again and moved me completely across the street um from where that fenced area is for the ben franklin parkway so right. i can see on uh, what's going on it's still battleground galore like it's going on um and it's just more of like tear gas being hurled back and forth. Uh, plus that acoustic device was there and, and disorienting us and then eventually like moved off. Um, so they were treating me. They were pouring milk in my eyes so I could help see. They were getting me water. I just could not catch my breath. And I've wow. never been like that out of shape person. I've always been like somebody that was into sports and things like that. But I just couldn't get it. Um, so we see officers. They're like, yo, you got to go home. The, not the officers, but the art uh, activists that were there. Yeah. Like, you got to go home. This is not safe for you. Um, they picked me back up and then walked me to um, uh, Spring Garden. Mm-hmm. There's a church at the corner of Spring Garden um, near maybe about three blocks away. Um, so they got me there. I sat on um, the steps. Finally was getting my air back under me. I am beat up, exhausted at this point, pouring sweat from head to toe. I got chemicals all over my body still. Like my hairs on my arms were still burning. Mm. Um, I got on the phone, let my wife and friends know I was okay. So they were watching my live stream. It went black and they could still hear what was going on. And then it cut off completely. Mm. So from there, somebody told them on the live stream comments to flip the channel ABC, Mm -hmm. 6ABC. When you see that, you see a helicopter view of 676 with a row of people all handcuffed. So um, it caused a lot of stress and anxiety on my family. Like they thought something had uh, happened to me that I was injured. Um, it could, anything could have happened. But they just, all that's all they know at this point is cops have taken over 676. Everyone is zip tied, lined up on the highway, about to get in this bus. Um so I call, let them know I was okay, but then I'm like, crap, I need to find my security guard. I need to regroup with the other journalists. I hope they're okay. There's a lot, a million different things going yep. through my head at this point. So I'm like, shit, to get back to where I need to go, <laughs> I need to go right back to where the SWAT and National Guardsmen and everything else and was. It's a long walk. It was a long walk. It was high. I was done. I didn't even, I couldn't even lift my camera up at that point to keep filming. Um, so I'm walking up uh, down Spring Garden back towards where the Ben Franklin Parkway fence line was, where all the action was happening. I'm walking up. Um, I did maybe one block before I see that bear or SWAT vehicle or tank, that black tank, swing back around the corner. And I'm like, this is it, man. I'm fucked here. Like, yeah. I, like I had said already, like one more can of tear gas and I'm done. Like I just I was I was fried at that point. I see them coming up. 
I used whatever little bit of energy to dive behind. Uh, there was some sort of building and some sort of fancy-looking structures in front of their building. Uh, duck and hid because that uh, that tank that was coming around had the hose out this time. Oh, man. <laughs> the hatch man. was open. It was a SWAT uh, Philly PD officer holding the hose. And as they were driving by, I seen the National Guardsman was actually driving the vehicle. Uh, going through. So that was the first time that I actually seen them working in tandem in the middle of action. It's one thing to say, hey, we're going to bring National Guards out to just basically stand there and block something. But to actually have them actively participating and quelling some sort of disturbance like, was a first for me in uh, Philadelphia. And they were just spraying random people. If you were just sitting there, they were just yeah. spraying you. Oh, yeah. Yeah, there was quite a bit of that. So... Um, as I was coming back, you see cans still being launched, and there's barely there's nothing going there. on. There's nothing <laughs> going on. People are just sitting on the ground, and they're just spraying. Yep. And, and we, we, me and Michael are like, "What? What are they doing? They're just launching. We're not doing right, anything indiscriminately." Yeah. Um, so there's clips uh, on YouTube where you see uh, tourists and other things just walking through the city of Philadelphia getting tear gas. Not to mention all the people that were on the highway that were stuck on the highway because of for traffic reasons, because of the demonstration that couldn't get out because the tear gas was seeping through uh, their their exhaust. I mean, their, their central air system. And there were kids in some of the vehicles that got tear yeah. gas because they were on the highway. Absolutely. And these uh, the police did not realize the total disregard for the kids that were total in the vehicle. Disregard. And the other re the thing was there was also journalists, tourists, mm -hmm. as a mix of people. So it was not just protesters. Absolutely. So they, you can't just blanket, you know, attack the... Now, if the entire crowd has a mob mentality and they're doing it, but that was not what was observed that day. It was people that were just holding signs, uh, saying chants. Um, like in West Philly or North Philly, there were residents that were uh, injured um, by the tear gas coming through like their air right. conditioners and stuff, people with pre-existing conditions. But what you see on the outside in West and North Philly during those times was there was just complete rioting, looting going on. So I understood the response, even though using it in a residential community is very dangerous to the people. But that they basically use that same response to a bunch of people on the highway holding signs and, and uh, protesting. And if they had given out some sort of warning, uh, I think a lot of the people would have been like, all right, that's it. Time to pack it up. Let's yep. go home. Yep. Uh, but there was not a single warning. And I've been at a lot smaller demonstrations where they'll issue you a warning. Hey, if you don't go, you're going to be arrested. Hey, if you don't go. And they usually gonna... get on the mic and they say, Absolutely. leave this area. Otherwise, we're yeah. going to start tear gas. So it was almost like, all right, let's meet them on the other side of this overpass and on the highway. Let's have them come to us and then just unleash hell on them yep. at that point. So, um I was able to walk back through the fence line, through the battleground that was still going on. Um, it wasn't as many people. There were just small pockets of people like challenging the police at this point. But indiscriminately, they were firing tear gas at uh, tourists, like oh, just anybody that was just in the area was getting right, hit right. with something. Uh, so I made it back to, uh, I think it was Love Park, um, where I met up with yourself, uh, Mike. Uh, the security guard was there. So, yeah, when we got to Love Park, here is uh, the the EMT. Here is uh, DJ Welch. They're sitting. Welch is bent over. I'm like, Mike, what the heck is going on here? What, what, what happened to my Welch? Oh my and then we asked EMT. We're like, yo, what happened to him? Yep. Oh, he got hit. They were tear gas. And he's physically sick. And now his wife is on the phone yelling at him yeah, and chewing him too. out. Yep. So his, now he, he got problems with the wife yelling at him. He's throwing up. My man was just That was dying. a bad day. Um, <laughs> and it's embarrassing, too. Like, you know, we all have our moments where we puke, not feeling yeah, uh, yeah. right. But this was extended. Like, I could not stop. And that's what the attorneys had looked at. Like, yeah, it's sustained some sort of uh, internal damage from the exposure. From uh, You were still puking in Love Park, which is yeah, a couple hours later. Hours later. later and yeah. even when I went home, I was still uh, throwing up. Wow. And I didn't have this. I've been in, 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 uh, in military training where we were tear gassed with high concentrations in such a small location mm -hmm. um, that I didn't think, like, I would feel like this. Like maybe your body changes over time or maybe the exposure to it might be the combination else. with the sound. The sound. And yeah, I was really, really messed up. So when I got to love park, um, I think you had, uh, initiated a interview 
uh, yeah, you had started doing a live stream for uh, your um, your for your channel, right? And I was showing you the like the the bruises that I had, bullets uh, from the rubber bullets on right, my right. legs, and um, immediately got nauseous. And thankfully, I, the security guard was there to help me get some. I think it was like my Lanta or something like that, mm -hmm. so that I could stop throwing up because it was just merciless. Like I could not get up, and you hear it in that for a good five straight minutes. Like usually, people get it out at once. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But it was just ongoing and ongoing. And, right, uh, right. So I let the family know I was okay. Um, I thought I was just nauseous that that was the only thing. You know, we all get up as a group and we start heading back to the parking garage, but then we're detained right there. Mm -hmm. uh, the police stopped us under suspicion of Molotov cocktails. Yes, that's I remember so, that. We were leaving the garage yeah. and the police stopped us. That's right. Yep. Um, at this point, I just wanted to go home. Like, I didn't care about footage. I don't care what mm -hmm. I had. Just like, I just want to survive today and get right, home. Right, right. Um, so the cops had us there for about five, 10 minutes asking us uh, a whole bunch of different questions. And, uh, you know, you have your camera equipment. Mike had his. I have mine. The only one that looks like he's an outsider there is was our security guard. Yep. But he was there with us. You know, I vouched for him. He didn't have any bottles or anything like that for any suspicion of Molotov cocktails or anything like that. So could it have been somebody who just falsely reported something possibly? Or it could have been just additional harassment coming from that day. Right. Um, they could see that we're, where the area we were walking from, oh, they must be up to no good. Like anybody that's coming from there had to have been part of the ruckus. Yeah. And the other thing was the garage parking was empty. We were the only vehicle that in too. that garage. Yep. So they thought that we had Molotov cocktails. All kinds of shit. Yeah, yeah. Like, um, so um, I was able to, um, they, we talked to them. They let us go. Everything was fine. Went back. Um, we we basically chopped it up real quick, all of us, and we went our separate ways. Now, what was the situation at home when you got home? So uh, the big thing was at home and at work. When I got home, um, I never felt the intense pain that I had in my abdomen in my life. Mm -hmm. Like, it was literally like somebody was taking your insides and just twisting them up. Wow. Anytime I tried to move, whether it was left, right, or even just try to sleep and roll over, Intense pain. I must have had a half hour sleep right. uh, that first night. Plus all the craziness that night. Like I'm jumping up like from anxiety. It's almost like you got a PTSD from mm -hmm. a two hour event there. You know, yeah, yeah. Um, the excitement of it had me jumping up. Uh, continued nausea throughout the night. But that abdomen pain lasted for at least a week. Wow. Um, it was really intense. And then... I look later on in the day, and I have pictures of this I could send to you, but there are these massive black marks all over my arms. Oh, wow. So I don't know if it was somebody that was just trying to help me with the, with the fall, or was it the fall itself? Like, there were deep, deep bruises in various parts of my body. That's crazy. Um, and they were just tender to touch as well. Mm. So at this point, I'm in a critical job in my professional life like i'm a process engineer for amazon and this is in the middle of covid social distancing and all that stuff i was in charge of so i had to go to work the next day right i get there my boss sees me with welts and and marks all over my body he's like yo what happened like mm -hmm. it's not good man you need to go to the hospital like they were really encouraging me to go to the hospital so i just kind of took it easy uh worked in the office instead of being out in like the uh, warehouse floor and just stayed there um, and then, uh, I had intense migraines as well. It's like from that, I kept hearing that alarm, uh, from the damn helicopter mm. over and over. And that lasted for two weeks, man, where wow. it was just like random migraines. Um, so all of the stuff I ended up telling, um, it was like some sort of, uh, flyer on Instagram. Hey, if you were injured in 676, please reach out to this person. Right. Um, so I reached out to them. Uh, then they kicked it back to some civil rights attorneys who reached out to me and asked me to fill out some uh, details about what had happened. And I'm a filmmaker myself. Like I ended up putting together a little mini documentary of what happened that day and sent it to them. And they were just like, wow, thank you so much for putting this together. Right. Um, we want to get you on the phone and talk to you some more about what's uh, what had happened that day. Mm -hmm. um, so, yes, yeah, shout out to the civil rights attorneys, Feinberg and Susan Lynn. Like they've taken it from there. Um, we're still going through the legal process, which I can't really speak too much on. Okay. Uh, it's almost two and a half years 
years later, but it's close to resolution. And you will see that it's it'll be all over the news and such. There are at least 140, if I'm not mistaken, uh, uh, plaintiffs on the lawsuit. Okay. Um, and so typically, it's a class action lawsuit. In a way. So typically, when you have a group that size, you could either pursue class action or you get like a general uh, baseline uh, compensation or reward for uh, each person. Okay. But there were people that were shot in the face with rubber bullets wow. that day. They had permanent damage. Yep, yep. Um, if you go and look at some of the footage on YouTube, you'll see people that were harmed a lot more on the exterior. A lot of my stuff was going on internally. Mm. Um, and then as well as like... They have to classify people. Were they an active demonstrator? Were they a journalist? Were they just a passerby? Like mm -hmm. the, all that stuff uh, gets weighed differently in the courts. Um, so with my case in particular, it was that I was there to provide neutral coverage of that event, and you know I was not a participator, and I was injured pretty badly as well as lost my camera that day. And it's a great thing you didn't get shot in the eye or something. Oh my god! Because we heard about the journalist who got mm -hmm. shot in the eye and lost the eye. And oh, now, somebody did lose their eye. Well, not I've in seen. Philly, but yeah. it was, uh, I believe, some other yep. uh, protest. And, and while they describe them as leaf, less than lethal munitions, doesn't mean they're not lethal. They can be very dangerous. Exactly. Like if you throw tear gas at somebody that has a pre-existing respiratory condition, they could die. If you hit somebody with a rubber bullet in their eye or in their throat, you know, they could die. Like it's, right. it's, it's just not a safe thing. And if there were some warnings... And I think still there would have been some level of mob mentality, like, I'm not going to leave here. Um, and Philly generally does well with handling large, cra large crowds. It was right. just like they had just like a, um, a basically a, um, a green light to just have some fun out there with us. And that's how it felt. All right. And so what, what goes on from now? What's the future? So um, the big thing with the lawsuit was there are some people that are – you know, motivated by money. Um, for me, it was none of that. I just needed, I just wanted my new camera because that was damaged and uh, wanted to provide a number of uh, suggestions to improve, like, on how to in interact with this, um, these situations in the future. And one of the big things that we were pushing for as a, as a collective in the lawsuit was the, the banning of non-lethal munitions altogether. Right, right. Like the tear gas and stuff. And it was gaining some really strong momentum until January 6th. Okay. Once that happened, it kept coming up in the courts, like, you know, what happens if we have a January 6th type incident right, right. Um, where you need to use tear gas and uh, uh, less than lethal munitions. So it doesn't sound like a lot of legislation and things like that have um, been approved or are going to change. Like okay. people will be, you know, compensated for whatever damages there are. And the commissioner herself, I think it was a day or two after the incident, admitted fault. So typically okay. they are very um, uh, apprehensive to admit fault for legal reasons. Right. Uh, but Commissioner Outlaw had seen the outcry and this was going on for at least a couple of weeks until New York Times got in and did their investigative research and brought a whole lot of this stuff to light where it was like, all right, the city really looks bad right now for what had happened. Um, so like they had, there was no uh, challenge from their end in terms of like, oh, we, we were justified in doing this. It was more like we overreacted and, you know, took it out on the people. Do you think we'll see another protest like George Floyd? Because George Floyd was intense. So I'm glad you brought that up. Um, that entire year was crazy, 2020 in general. Right. A lot of political violence, a lot of stuff stemming from like um, angst with law enforcement and things like that. Three months after that happened, um, Walter Wallace was killed in Philadelphia. Right. I think this, no, this was in October. I, I, you know, don't quote me on this because it's a little bit vague, but uh, he was a mentally ill man. He had a knife. Um, he had gotten pulled over, some sort of domestic disturbance in Philly where uh, they were called to the house. And the cops... I remember that because they didn't treat it like a mentally ill patient. Exactly. Yeah. Like the, the guy went, was unarmed at the time. The mm -hmm. cops were trying to stop him. He goes, opens his vehicle up, looks like he's reaching for something, mm -hmm. and then they unload on him. Right. They just shoot him dead in the streets. Um, 
the city was on fire immediately. It was almost like it was they were just waiting for the next George Floyd to happen. Right. Um, whereas George Floyd was, you know, somebody kneeled on his back, you know, rest in peace to George Floyd. And he died. Um, there was no weapon in George Floyd's incident, whereas there was one in Walter McRae's or whatever in his car. Mm-hmm. Um, so your justification all has to be based around that narrative. It changes a lot from when somebody is selling cigarettes on a street corner and is choked to death by police versus somebody that has a taser, a knife, a handgun, or something like that, and is ultimately killed by police, whether they point it at him or not. Like, there's different levels of danger that the officer can use to say, like, hey, I was justified in this shooting. Um, So regardless of all that, the city was just, it didn't matter what the person uh, did or or, uh, you know, how they died, as long as it was done by police, it was like, we're going to raise hell. So um, I got a call from uh, the news company that I was working for and asked me to cover um, that that riot. Right. So I go out there and it's a and it's like the 676 George Floyd weekend on steroids. So it wasn't really? as much looting and um, and uh, um, just it wasn't just so much like chaos in the neighborhoods. It was directed at police from like start to finish. So I seen people throwing lawn furniture at cops, bricks, bottles, frozen water, uh, frozen water bottles. And the, I don't understand Philly's logic. Like you can have people in SWAT gear come up to a 676 demonstration, but at a Walter McRae um, demonstration where cops are being assaulted openly, they have nothing on. Like they had no face gear, very little, any protection right. and um, getting ran out of the city. Like I seen, I recorded several cops get hurt that day mm-hmm. um, on top of numerous um, other arrests. Like people punching cops in the face, like right in front of the cameras. Like it was just open assault. And the cops too were so short. Like as people were, as officers were getting injured, their circle of, of officers, which were spread around Germantown and, uh, and West Philadelphia have gotten smaller. Hey, they have to get called for this. Now you see like pockets of three, four officers with maybe a hundred people throwing bottles and things like that at them. And, and um, you could just tell like they're in, ill-equipped to handle something like that. And then on top of that, there was a, a general apprehension to use non-lethal munitions because of what had happened on 676. Now, in a situation like that, I would think they would use... They, they would. Like in that instance, as for me as a neutral party, just observing, like they should have used them uh, that day. And, right, uh, right. Uh, during the Walter McRae riots and what was going on there. So... Um, so yeah, we did see demonstrations after the fact that were crazy, as well as you'd see Philly's wild. So you bring everybody from all points of life. It's the home of the city of independence. So it has a lot of symbolism with a lot of different groups. So, um, I think you had covered before where the, the Patriot front or, uh, proud boys proud were coming boys, around. Yeah. There yeah. was large groups of people with American flags, um, uh, chasing people through, uh, a lot of, co- uh, confrontations with the left wing and Antifa and such. Um, So it has continued, but I do feel like since the president has changed, some of that has been dialed back. It's completely dialed down. I mean, we don't, we haven't seen protests in about a year and a half, two years now, but it's only a matter of time. Like I think that was the foundation of what we potential we could see out of Philadelphia was the George Floyd riots and the Walter uh, McRae riots um, that happened that October was that, like this is the baseline to where we could really ramp up to. And it could go beyond that where, you know, they lose key infrastructure in the city because of uh, wide scale protests and demonstrations.